Here are the items up for discussion on this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Number one, this show is discriminatory. I'll explain. Number two, FDA loses warning label case with potential cigar ramifications. Number three, woke Hollywood director calls testosterone a toxin. Number four, incoming Gen Z freshman congressman shares a tale of woe. And number five, soccer is still boring. The Cigar Dave Show is presented by Gurkha, the world's finest cigars, including the Gurkha Revenant, the five-country fusion of exceptionally aged tobaccos will immediately jumpstart your senses for a cigar journey that only Gurkha can deliver. Offered in both Corojo, Maduro, and now Connecticut presentations. Fire up a new Gurkha Revenant today. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. And by Davidoff of Geneva and their Avo portfolio of cigars, including the Avo Heritage, crafted through centuries of traditions. Avo Heritage was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar with strength, complexity, and impeccable smoothness. Savor every note of the spice-laden Avo Heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. This is the Cigar Dave Show. With the General. I am locked, loaded, energetic, ready for broadcast pleasure maneuvers front and center from Command Center Alpha and Humidor 1A. It is Cigar Dave, your global five-star general, alpha male in chief, front and center. As always, extending to you a long-ash greeting and salutation, a long-ash snappy salute, semper delictatio. Always pleasure, long live the alpha, make masculinity great again, screw the enemies of pleasure, Hashtag Save America. I started the rundown, our tease, if you will, with the declaratory statement that this show is discriminatory. And we are. But not in the sense that one may think of discrimination. We don't care about your religion. We don't care about your race. We don't care about what country you are from. We don't care whether you're male or female. What we do care about is that you are alpha. You have common sense, you are current event literate, you are decisive, and you are not stupid. You are not 55%, you're not in the 55% of the world that suffers from triple S, seriously stupid syndrome. I pride myself and I pride this show that our audience is composed of alphas who are successful in whatever their chosen endeavor. Whatever your career path, you are successful. You believe that it is imperative to be up to date on current events. You're not wishy-washy. You're not a pansy ass. You're not wussified. You're not pussified. And you certainly are not castrated. You are amongst the minority, the 45% in the world who are smart. And it is incredible to me, as over the past week, I have encountered unbelievable numbers of stupid people. Stupid people, whether it's in business, whether it's in, in retail, or just across daily life. I, th- I think I probably shook my head more this week. Shocked. And I shouldn't be, because we know that the majority of America, the majority of the world is stupid. Now, we don't say that to be mean, to be derogatory. Of course, we are proud of the fact, you and I, 
this audience is proud of the fact that we are amongst that very special 45%. Not everybody can be in this 45%. For example, Joe Biden could not be in this 45% because he has no brain. You must have a brain. You must be alpha. This past week, just a few days ago, Biden initiated a swap between a bad hombre, as President Donald J. Trump would say, Vladimir Zherabenkov, an arms dealer, merchant of death, traded him not for a U.S. Marine who has been on Russian soil held captive for four years, but for an anti-American, unpatriotic basketball player, female basketball player, Brittany Griner, who, in her infinite wisdom, went over to Russia to play basketball and decided that she was going to bring some sort of cannabis oil or marijuana with her. Dumb mistake. This is the same woman, by the way, who chose not to, I believe she kneeled, if I'm not mistaken, or uh, chose not to partake in the national anthem. That's all right. Fine. So be it. But now all of a sudden you're crying like a little baby. Please help me get me out of this Russian work camp, this hard labor camp. Biden stupidly, instead of saying to the Russians, listen, it's simple. We take both. Now, I would not have traded the merchant of death. Sorry, would not have done it. Because now every American is vulnerable. And I'm getting on a tangent. But the point being is Biden was stupid. He was weak. Weak negotiator, always negotiate from a position of strength. We know this administration is weak. We know Biden is weak. We know Biden is brain dead. We know Biden is dumb. We know most of the people in the administration are stupid. And that is my point. That the amount of stupidity that I encountered this week... Just every time, almost every single day, something occurred to me this week. And the first thing I said is, seriously stupid syndrome. And that's why I'm leading off with it. Because you and I are not in that category. Nobody will ever accuse us of being stupid. We use our brain. We have common sense. We we use rational thought. But every single day this week, something occurred. I mean, I had somebody I had somebody this week tell me where I ran into someone, a listener, saying, I'd like to complain. General, I love your show. However, uh, I want it to be longer. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Sometimes it's an hour and 20 minutes. Sometimes I ran for two hours. Sometimes it's going to be 40 minutes. There is no set time anymore. When we transitioned from radio, where we had a set amount of time, linear time every week, to nonlinear, the podcast form, I stated very simply, that I will do the show when there are topics that are of interest to me, I think of interest to you, and that we won't have time constraints. There are times when we will go longer, sometimes that we would go shorter. But again, I thought to myself, okay, this person wants it to be long. And I said, well, what do you want me to do? Specifically have two hours every week or three hours? And he's like, oh yeah, three hours would be great. Well, I said, that's not what we're doing. What we do is... If there are three topics of interest, five topics, seven topics, or there's one topic where I go an hour, that's what we will do. And he's like, don't get me wrong. General, love the show. But I just want it longer. 
And as I said to him, for the price of admission for what you're paying, you should be thankful whether you get 30 minutes, you get three hours, or you get six hours, whatever the case. So it just always amazes me. But every day this week, I encountered somebody somewhere that displayed seriously stupid syndrome. And it made me appreciate the fact that this audience, that you and I, are so far superior above the majority of the world. And again, that's not to be braggadocious, that's not to be snobby, that's not to be conceited, but we are all intelligent, we are alphas, we are use common sense, current event literate, we are decisive, we're action, we're doers. We don't sit around and watch the world go by. I think there's that old saying that it's uh, get on the bus, get off the bus, but whatever you do, don't stand in front of the bus. We do not stand in front of the bus. We drive the bus. So the moral of the story is that I am proudly discriminatory. Discriminatory to an audience such as yourselves who are amongst the brightest, the most decisive, hardest working, not only in the United States, but in the world because our, our, our audience has been global going back to when this show was starting to be available uh, on the internet. Going back to before we even had our app, when on CigarDave.com, we would actually post the archives of the show, and we started getting email from our military members overseas, from people that lived in foreign countries. So our reach is across the globe, and you know, I don't care what country you're in, you can be in the United States, you can be in Brazil, you can be in, in England, you can be in Australia, whatever the country you know that 55% of your countrymen and women are stupid. You are amongst the 45% that are intelligent. Be proud. Do not be ashamed. Do not apologize. Don't ever apologize. So, as I explained, yes, we are discriminatory. Not against people's religion, color, whatever their ethnic background. However, if you are seriously stupid, if you are a wussified beta, if you are dumb and lack common sense, you don't know what's going on in the world, you're a low-information voter, and you are indecisive, you are not welcome on The Cigar Dave Show. A very important case was decided this week in a Texas courtroom by Judge John Campbell Barker of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas. I wonder if Judge Campbell Barker is related to Bob Barker. Don't forget, have your pets, what is it, control, help control the pet population, have your pets spayed and neutered. I wonder if Judge Cam, uh, John Campbell Barker plays some of those uh, pricing games in his courtroom. Who knows? In any event, he did render a very important verdict. First up, let's go back a little bit, a little bit of uh, history. In 2014, the FDA, or as we refer to it here on the Cigar Dave Show, the FUDA, for apparent reasons and obvious reasons, the FUDA issued the deeming rule, which required many of the same, which basically allowed the FDA to include the cigars, whether it's premium, hand-rolled, in the same anti-cigarette legislation that was passed years prior. And one of the items in the deeming rule required cigar companies to place text-based warning labels 
on cigar packaging and advertising. I mean, these were big advertisements, big text labels. You go to some other countries, you go to Canada, you go to Germany, some other countries, the beautiful ornate cigar boxes and the cigar artwork we see on cigars, on the bands, on the boxes, inside the cigar boxes, they are unable in many countries to display that. A black and white warning label or in some instances, a large text label with very graphic, gruesome pictures of people undergoing health issues have to be posted on the box. Luckily, here in the United States, luckily, the cigar companies sued and a federal appeals court ruled that the FDA's text-based warning labels for cigars were illegal. Now, even though a court ruled that they were illegal for cigars, we always have to be worried about incrementalism. And I've talked about incrementalism going back ages. Cigar smoking bans or smoking bans in general. At first in California, the People's Republic of California, the legislators signed into law a smoking ban for restaurants and in buildings, public buildings but they allowed for outdoor smoking. So restaurants invested in outdoor patios, patios that were open but were still covered. They spent a lot of money. And then what happened a few years later? The enemies of pleasure said, well, the smoking bans are working so well, we're now going to move them to outside dining. Because some people want to eat outside and they don't want smoke. Incrementalism. It's like if you let one cockroach into the house. You let one cockroach in, before you know it, you're going to have 50 cockroaches. And the 50 turn into 100, and the 100 turn into 1,000. That's why, if you live in warm climates, it is imperative that you have a good pest control service. You got to whack those cockroaches. Now, you'll still see one one or two now and then, but when you see them in your home, they're whacked. They're dead. They're, They're on their back because the pest control contractor did the job. They sprayed the perimeter of your home or your business. They sprayed on the inside. They put little bait where cockroaches may happen to travel. And then you eliminate them. But if you don't eliminate cockroaches, as Tony Montana, you're a cockroach. If you don't eliminate cockroaches right from the get-go, they're going to keep coming in. And that's exactly what incrementalism is. The enemies of pleasure get one foot in the door, they want two feet, then they'll be banging down your door and breaking it down. So Judge John Campbell Barker of the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Texas on Thursday ruled in the case of R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company et al. versus the U.S. Food and Drug Administration et al., the U.S. FUDA. And the case centered around the March 2020 FUDA rule that required cigarettes sold in the U.S. to come in packages showing graphical warning labels covering 50% of the front and rear of the packaging, as well as 20% of any cigarette advertisements. Now, in 2011, there were cigarette warning labels proposed by the FDA that were thrown out by a D.C. court, but they introduced it in 2020. If you think the FUDA is just going to stop 
trying to get after our cigars, interfere in our lives, interfere in our pleasure, think again. So in 2020, two years ago, they come out with another rule saying that 50% of the front and rear packaging and 20% of any cigarette advertisements must have these graphic and gruesome warning labels. Even though the FDA issued the rule in March 2020, it had not gone into effect. So the plaintiffs, R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company et al., several other companies, all got together and they sued the FDA. And the judge issued a ruling in favor of the plaintiffs, which is good. And he basically said that the, and there's a standard, an American legal standard requiring label, warning labels on products. It's known as compelled speech. And it goes back, there's a ruling in 1985, the U.S. Supreme Court uh, ruled that the government could use compelled speech to protect consumers from deception, but that the information in the required warnings must be accurate, purely factual, and uncontroversial. Well, the judge, Judge Barker, found the images fail the purely factual part of the test because consumers could reasonably interpret many different meanings from the images. So he threw it out, gone. Now, you know that the FUDA is probably going to appeal. Actually, probably, they will appeal. But why is this important? Even though it just concentrated on cigarettes, we know through incrementalism, if the FUDA would have been successful in this court case, you can be sure they would have tried to apply it to cigars again. And when you look at a cigar box, you look at a, the, the artwork on a cigar band, it is intricate. It is impressive. It is, it is just beautiful. Why do people that don't even smoke cigars collect cigar boxes? Because the artwork is incredible. We see women making purses out of cigar boxes. We see people that take cigar boxes and make them into even larger artwork. People just like cigar boxes because of the color, the look. And the cigar manufacturers go to great lengths to create truly impressive works of art on their cigar bands and their cigar boxes. The last thing we would want is what they have in Canada and other countries. A black and white box, just warning label after warning label, one giant warning label, taking away the beauty of the cigar box. And let's face it, as a cigar connoisseur, I always say that when you think about a cigar, I'm picking up a cigar right now. In fact, the cigar that I'll be smoking uh, today. So I've got it out of the cellophane. And as I look at this particular cigar, first thing I'm noticing, first the aromas right off the bat, there's multiple senses. For example, I am looking at the band. I am looking at the wrapper color. I'm sniffing the cigar, getting the aroma. So I'm doing all these various things with sight, with smell, even with sound as I touch the cigar. I can just hear the moisture in the cigar. So it's a very visual, it's, a, it's an overall just a, a very unique experience. And think about this. If you would pull out a cigar and there would just be this black and white band on it with a big warning label on it, and the box as you pull that cigar out just was black and white with just gruesome pictures and texts, big turnoff. 
And let's face one thing, that we always say as cigar connoisseurs, everything in moderation. Today's cigar connoisseur doesn't go out and smoke five, six, seven cigars a day. My grandfather's cigar, Abe, he had six gold label cigars lined up from 6 a.m. to the time he went to bed at 10 p.m. in his pocket. It's different today. We smoke less cigars. We smoke better cigars. Everything in moderation. And the average person, the average cigar connoisseur smokes, I think, one, maybe two cigars per week. All the studies have shown that. So if you enjoy cigars in moderation, if you enjoy libations in moderation, you enjoy every type of food in moderation, exercise in moderation, you'll be fine. I mean, think about this. If you went out and ran a marathon every day, you think that's good for your body? You think that's good for your cardiovascular system? Running 30, 40 miles a day on your knees, on your joints? The answer is no. We've known that. And in fact, what's interesting is there have been studies showing that long-distance runners end up having some cardiac issues because it is not good. Everybody thought, hey, the more you work your heart, the better. There's always that fine line. Everything in moderation. So good news from Judge John Campbell Barker in the U.S. District Court of the Eastern District of Texas ruling in favor of the plaintiff's R.J. Reynolds Tobacco Company et al. And just because of that ruling, maybe, just maybe, we can breathe a little easier that the FDA won't go after our beloved cigars, the cigar artwork, the cigar bands, the cigar boxes. They will be untouched by the evils of government intervention and government bureaucracy. One thing I can tell you that the FUDA will not be touching today is the International Cigar Litation and Libation Ceremony, and it's coming your way right around the corner. Question I receive most from connoisseurs. General, what is the newest cigar that I should try? Easy answer. Right now, it's the Gurkha Revenant. Very unique addition to the Gurkha portfolio. It comes in two different wrappers, a Corojo or a San Andrean Maduro wrapper. But what is unique about the Gurkha Revenant? It uses essentially the same Cameroon binder and some broadleaf in the filler. So you're going to get some unique sweetness. You're going to get some unique spice. The San Andres Maduro wrapper adds more sweetness with a little bit more of a unique complexion, whereas the Corojo, more of a medium-bodied balance smoke. Try one of each. You can't go wrong. The brand-new Gurkha Revenant, available in Corojo and San Andres Maduro wrapper. Visit GurkhaCigars.com. With an unlimited and secure supply of pleasure sticks available for the general to enjoy, it's time for National Cigar Litation Maneuvers. I have been so busy all week that I have not been able to enjoy a cigar since last uh, Saturday, the last edition of the Cigar Dave Show. So my palate is clean, my palate is rested, my palate is ready to thoroughly enjoy a fantastic cigar, accompanied, of course, by a fantastic spirit. And I have just pulled out the Crown Heads La Carrette. My good buddies over at Crown Heads, that would be John Huber, Mike Condor. They have a magnificent boutique cigar operation, make some great, great uh, cigars. And in fact, the La Carême is one of those that I absolutely just think is spectacular. It is a hidden gem. And it's very hard to find. Many, many stores are back ordered, not easy to find right now. 
but this cigar made under the supervision of E.P. Carillo is a magnificent small batch cigar. It is named, it's actually the first of their cigar lines to be inspired by food, but it's named, La Carême is named after Marie Antoine Carême, a popular a uh, pioneer, actually, uh, in French cuisine who popularized the souffle, Mary Antoinette Carême. So, knowing that uh, John Huber is an aficionado of fine food and certainly fine cigars and history, he came up with La Carême. It is made in República Dominicana, Dominican Republic. The wrapper is a beautiful, dark, chocolate, oily Connecticut broadleaf. Ecuadorian Sumatra binder, Nicaraguan fillers. It is just a nice medium, medium plus cigar. I've got the Robusto in front of me. It comes in four sizes. I've got the Robusto, five inches in length with a 50 ring gauge or 50 64ths of an inch in diameter. Suggested retail is in the nine and a half to $10 area. If you can find one, grab it. Big time back order situation, luckily. I still have about half a box that has been aging in my humidor. Beautiful stick, the crown heads, La Carême. Cigar-altering and highly sharpened leaf-exposing device. All right, I've got my self-sharpening double-edged stainless steel guillotine ready for action. Maximum BTU flame-throwing and heat-producing apparatus. From the Cigar Dave R&D Labs, I have got the five-star. Five butane jet flames arranged in a pentagon type of arrangement. Big fuel tank built in piercer. Five star, named after me. Beautiful looking lighter, that's what I would use today. Cigar, Cigar pre-lightation checklist complete. No faults detected. Area clear of all enemies of pleasure. Approval to go throttle up in three, two, one. All right, here comes the cut. Perfect of my La Carême. Outstanding, and let me get my lightation device, my Cigar Dave R&D Labs Five Star, five jet flames as we gently toast the foot of this cigar. Now, last week I smoked a magnum, big 60 ring gauge cigar. It's not going to take me that long to toast this cigar. First, I'm toasting the wrapper, then we'll get the filler and binder. Taking my time, now I will puff and rotate never allowing the fire to get into the foot of the cigar. We want heat to cause combustion, not the flame itself. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. Getting a nice cocoa type of taste right off the bat. of the cigar need just a little bit of a touch up here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. now I'll tell you that when John Huber and Mike Condor created this cigar with Ernesto Perez they wanted to create something reminiscent of a chocolate souffle so there is cocoa on here I'm definitely getting a nuttiness I'm getting some cocoa on here especially from, and some sweetness too, from this Connecticut broadleaf wrapper. And then that Sumatra wrapper gives it a little spice and the Nicaraguan fillers add out out, uh, some roundness to it, add some flavor, some boldness. Mm, Outstanding. Mm -hmm. Now, I need the appropriate accompaniment 
for my crowned heads, La Carette. Scotch, bourbon, and beer. Commence thirst-quenching libationary maneuvers. Well, I have decided to go the Scotch whiskey route today. And I've pulled out a bottle of the Balvini Caribbean cask, aged 14 years. It goes through a double maturation process. First, 14 years, actually less than 14 years in, actually correction, 14 years in American oak casks, used American oak casks, and then it undergoes a secondary aging in formerly held casks, or a cask that formerly held Caribbean rum, so it's finished. Now, they don't say how long it's finished for. It could be a couple of months, three months, six months, who knows. But what they did is they took malt master David Stewart of the Balvini. He filled American oak casks with his own blend of select West Indian rums. And then when they get rid of the, the, the rums that are in the casks, they then put in the Balvini that's 14 years aged. And what you get is an exceptional single malt, very smooth, typical honeyed character of the Balvini, and then it's got some interesting notes of some sweetness, some fruitiness because of the rums. So let's take a look at this. And this has got a very nice, I would say a light tan color, light caramel color. Nice aroma, definitely getting some fruitiness, some citrus. Cheers. And let's take a sip here. Mm. Oh yeah. Definite vanilla, some warmth, a little fruitiness. Definitely getting some of the oak. Take another sip here. Mm. Definitely some notes of that rum. Now you're not going to be overwhelmed by the rum. It's not as if you're going to be drinking rum, but you're going to get some subtle taste, subtle notes from the rum-filled casks for that just extra maturation process. So a nice 14-year-aged Scotch whiskey. First, it is aged in used American oak barrels, and then it goes into barrels that held West Indian Excellent. Let me take a puff of my La Carême. Now a sip of my Balvini Caribbean cask. And I raise a glass. I raise my cigar to all of you, saying cheers. When we come back, I will get into a very interesting tale of woe from an incoming Gen Z freshman congressman, and also my final remarks about soccer. As the final and concluding segment of this edition of the Cigar Dave Show comes your way next. I had the pleasure of knowing the late, great Avo Uvesian, the man behind the Avo lineup of cigars. And Avo had a great saying. He would tell me, savor every note. Well, one cigar that I can tell you, you will savor every puff, savor every note, is the Avo Heritage. It was developed for the cigar connoisseur seeking a fuller-bodied cigar. Strength, complexity, impeccable smoothness, nice notes of spice. If you are looking for a cigar that delivers 
full-bodied richness, impeccable smoothness, savor every note of the spice-laden Avo heritage. Available at DavidoffGeneva.com. Arriving as a wussified beta male, departing as a certified alpha male. Cigar Dave, mission accomplished. Mm. Thoroughly enjoying this Crown Heads La Carême. Absolutely wonderful cigar. And I'll tell you, the Balvini Caribbean cask. Mm. I could just sit here, puff and sip for the next 30 minutes, not even saying a word, but duty calls. And specifically, the attack on alpha males. Males in general continues, this time by a Hollywood director, a woke Hollywood director, James Cameron. That name should be familiar. Very well-known Hollywood director, directed Avatar, but he also directed Die Hard and Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. Correction, not Die Hard, True Lies. True Lies he directed and Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. And in an interview to the Hollywood Reporter, he talks about his past. And that at one time he was kind of a difficult director to deal with by, by not only his own admission, but other people in Hollywood said he was a real piece of work to deal with. But he said, quote, a lot of things I did earlier I wouldn't do, career-wise and just risks that you take as a wild, testosterone-poisoned young man. I always think of testosterone as a toxin that you have to slowly work out of your system. So now this woke, ultra-lib director is calling testosterone a poison. And it's very clear that James Cameron has been denadularized. No relation to Jerry Nadler. But his nads have been essentially snipped or removed. He has been clearly wussified. And clearly, he now feels shame for being a man. Let's talk about testosterone. I say, by the way, no to low T. American alpha males run on testosterone. High test testosterone. High test T. There has been, as you know, a drive for the last 40, 45 years by the feminists, by the ugly women that can't get laid, that date, that are chicks with dicks, to wussify and castrate American males. From the time that males come out of the womb, they are potential sex offenders in these feminists' eyes. It is beyond screwed up. Now, to call testosterone toxic, what do you think makes men testosterone? That's the difference between men and women. I mean, women do have some testosterone, but men have far more testosterone. That's what fuels American, not just American men, but males in general. No testosterone, no males. No testosterone, no procreating. I ask you these questions. Here's a little quiz. Was testosterone toxic in World War II when our boys were storming the beaches of Normandy or battling Iwo Jima or the Battle of the Bulge? 
Is testosterone toxic when men are saving women and children from a fire, from an accident, from floods, from other natural disasters? The answer is no. I find it amazing that this woke Hollywood lib director, just because he was a prick and a pain in the ass when he was a younger director, he's going to blame that on testosterone? How about just blaming it on the fact that you were a prick? That you were a ruth, a, a, a pain in the ass son of a bitch to deal with. That's not me talking. That's other people that have worked with him. He's got a horrible reputation. I mean, the studios couldn't stand him. But he made money for them, so they tolerated him. But to go back and say to blame everything on his tirades and his behavior on testosterone poisoning that testosterone is a toxin, is absurd. I will never apologize for being a testosterone-laden alpha male. You will never apologize for being a testosterone-laden alpha male. It is only these wussified, pussified, and castrated former men, because this guy now looks like a sliver of what he used to be. I mean, maybe now he's taking progesterone. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he likes having low T. But for whatever reason, this guy now has to lash out at all males. The testosterone is evil. It's a toxin. No, it's not. There has been this constant bombardment against toxic masculinity. Everything with males, it's toxic masculinity. We can't have men that are strong. We can't have men that are decisive. We can't have men who actually have the bravado and the guts to tell feminists to go shove it. We can't have that. The feminists have been trying to neuter American males for 45-plus years. Proof is in the pudding. Testosterone levels have gone down in worldwide males. We talked about this either last week or a few weeks ago. We have seen it. Studies have shown it. Why? Because men have been neutered. Men have been raised in environments where they no longer have a masculine, testosterone-laden role model. They, in school, are not being paid attention to. Girls are. Boys aren't. Boys, they want to become women or girls. When somebody, when boys roughhouse, normal behavior, what happens? Oh, we can't have that. That's roughhousing. No, 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 no. That's, that's toxic masculine behavior. These Hollywood nutcases, if they've got a problem, if they're not happy about being a man, great. Go transition into being a female like all those other nutcases. There's three, three genders, as you know, male, female, and freak. If James Cameron wants to become a freak, be my guest. But the rest of us are not going to sit by, idly by, and allow his characterization that testosterone is poison, Testosterone is a toxin. We will not allow that to stand. You and I are proud to be 100% USDA certified alpha males loaded with raging hormones and raging amounts of testosterone. Now let's talk about a Gen Zer who is just, talk about somebody with no testosterone. Here is a Gen Zer that was just elected to Congress from the Orlando area, Val Demings, who ran for Senate, 
in uh, this pa- uh, past election, in the November election, got hammered by Marco Rubio. His name is Maxwell Alejandro Frost. Not Maxwell Frost. He's got to get that Alejandro in. He's 25 years of age. He is the youngest member of Congress, and he is the first person from Generation Z to be elected to Congress. And for those of you that are wondering, well, General, what in the world? I can't keep up with Generation Z, Generation Y, Zoomers, Boomers. Gen Z, also known as Zoomers, is the demographic cohort that succeeded millennials and preceded as preceding Generation Alpha. That's a new one to me. I didn't know there was a Generation Alpha. Basically, Zoomers were born from 1987 to 2012. So Maxwell Alejandro Frost, 25, new congressman elected to the House of Representatives from Florida's 10th District. His background is uh, that of uh, being an organizer, very similar to Barack Hussein Obama. He began, ironically, he was active in Barack Obama's 2012 presidential campaign. And he, his most recent gig, as he identified, was that he is a volunteered for numerous community action groups, he later worked for Bernard Sanders. Bernard Sanders, yes, yes, I want to confirm that Maxwell Alejandro Frost worked for me. He hates billionaires and zillionaires and trillionaires. Billionaires, he doesn't, he doesn't hate because I'm a billionaire. As you know, Bernard Sanders, I'm a billionaire. I got three, four houses. And uh, he wants to become a billionaire like me, Bernie Sanders, too. Worked for Hillary Clinton. And he has been a, uh, his last gig uh, I believe, I'm trying to find it here. He was, let me see. Uh, he was, I will find it. I will find it because I did see it. Uh, let's see. He was an organizer with the ACLU and the National Organizing Director for March for Our Lives. What is March for Our Lives? I'm glad you asked. It, uh, let's see, that was a March 24th, 2018 demonstration to protest gun violence in the United States. And I believe he was arrested uh, in Washington while protesting. It's okay, the, the January 6th guys get locked up for umpteen years. This guy, no problem. Isn't it amazing, the hypocrisy? So Maxwell Alejandro Frost gets elected to Congress. And earlier this week, he shared a thread of tweets that I will share with you now. Just applied to an apartment in D.C. where I told the guy that my credit was really bad. He said I'd be fine. Got denied, lost the apartment, and the application fee. This ain't meant for people who don't already have money. For those asking, I have bad credit because I... Correction. Let me give the exact... Uh, wording that he used, so I'm accurate in his quote. For those asking, I have bad credit because I ran up a lot of debt running for Congress for a year and a half. Didn't make enough money from Uber itself to pay for my living. It isn't magic that we won our very difficult race. For that primary, I quit my full-time job because I knew that to win at 25 years old, I'd need to be a full-time candidate. Seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day, it's not sustainable or right, but it's what we had to do. 
As a candidate, you can't give yourself a stipend or anything till the very end of your campaign. So most of the run, you have no dollars coming in unless you work a second job. AOC went through something similar in 2018, and it's still a problem. I also recognize that I'm speaking from a point of privilege, because in two years' time, my credit will be okay because of my new salary that starts next year. We have to do better for the whole country. Well, let's examine this first of all. He was in a field of, I think, about 10 candidates. And I think he won with 38% of the vote. The next highest, I think, was maybe 29%. So it was a very, very crowded field, including some uh, um, former uh, uh, elected officials, elected representatives, including Alan Grayson, who was a former congressman. So he says that he's pissed because he gets denied. All right? He has bad credit. Had to, uh, uh, didn't make enough money from Uber. He was campaigning, had to quit his first of his job seven days a week, 10 to 12 hours a day. Okay. So let's, let's examine this a little bit. Let's relate this to an entrepreneur, a small business owner who, or, or a person who dreams of having a small business. So let's first of all, take a look and see the similarities. So Mr. Frost decides that he wants to invest in himself. He wants to run for office. And to do so, he's got to devote all his time and waking efforts and energy to do so. Now let's compare that with an entrepreneur. Someone who's got the American dream in their head. They want to open a business. Whatever the case may be. Whether it's a service business, whether it is a a, a a grocery, uh, a corner store, a cigar store, a, a dry cleaners, whatever the case may be. The entrepreneur says, I'm going to go and try to get a loan. I'm going to get money from friends. I am going to raise that money and I'm going to invest in myself. And during that time, as I grow this business, I know that it's going to take me years to get going. It's not going to happen overnight. I know that I may have to put in 12, 14, 18-hour days. I know I may have to work six or seven days a week. I know that I may be the last to take a paycheck if there's not enough money coming in. I know there are going to be some lean times. I know that I'm going to have difficulties that come up along the way, and I know it may take me several years to five years, two years, three years, five years before I can become successful, but I'm willing to do it because I believe in myself. Okay, so let's equate that to Mr. Frost. Same thing. He said, I'm going to invest in myself. I have a dream. I want to run for Congress. I'm willing to put in the effort. Okay, fine. So he does that. And along the way, he finds that driving Uber, it's not enough. And his credit takes a hit. Now, when you take a look at the fact that his credit is bad by his own admission because he spent his own money on his congressional campaign, that is no different than an entrepreneur saying, I'm going to roll the dice and create, start my own business. He did the same thing entrepreneurs, small business owners do every day, invest in themselves. They take a chance on becoming successful by rolling the dice. Along the way, they are going to struggle to make ends meet. But you stay persistent and hope that through it all, you become successful after all the hard work and all the trials and tribulation. 
Look what happened to Mr. Frost. Went through the same thing as an entrepreneur. Spent a year and a half on his campaign. Struggled to make ends meet. He ends up winning. And now he will be earning a salary more than he has ever seen in probably his entire lifetime. $175,000 per annum. Maybe now this socialist Marxist who is calling for Medicare for all, who talking about all sorts of radical land, uh, 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 landlord legal changes to make it diff- more difficult for landlords to evict people and, and he wants a maximum 3% increase on, on rent. If you are a renter, the maximum your, your rent can go up 3%. That's not how it works. But, of course, that's what this Marxist wants. So maybe he can relate, since he's been in the same position, relate to all those entrepreneurs, the small business people in his district, who risked it all for success. But you and I both know that this socialist, this Lib Dem, will never take that to heart. Instead, what's he going to call for? More big government handouts, more free money, more tax the wealthy, and in fact, he's already now calling, saying, well, there shouldn't be any deposits or any, any uh, application fees that we need to seriously take a look and change how people are able to rent a house, that maybe they shouldn't look at credit. All these changes. Now, if he were on the other side, if he were a landlord, and let's say that Mr. Frost achieves some modicum of success, and let's face it, When these clowns go to Washington, it's amazing that on a $175,000 salary, how quickly they'll become millionaires. Just magically it happens. It's like Frosted Lucky Charms. They're magically delicious. But just magic it happens. Let's just assume that he goes out and says, you know, for an investment, I'm going to go out and buy one house, then two houses, then three houses. Maybe he has four houses that he's going to go out and rent. But he's got to pay the bank because he had to go get a bank loan. So he goes to the bank, pays the bank, and one of his tenants says to him, you know, I don't want to pay you. I just don't want to pay you. Not that I can't pay you, I don't want to pay you. And by the way, we saw that during the pandemic where what did the Dems do? Oh, don't worry about paying your rent. So all these small landlords, we're not talking about the the big land barons, the big tycoons. We're not talking about mega, mega capital investment groups that have several billion dollars in real estate. These are people that maybe buy a $75,000, $100,000, $200,000 house. Maybe it's got two apartments that they rent. So now let's say he goes and he rents one and the guy says, the, le- the tenant says, I'm sorry, Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost. I don't want to pay you. Do you think Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost is going to say, sure, no problem, because I'm a socialist and I believe that people shouldn't have to pay. Let the wealthy pay and there shouldn't be increases more than 3%. Do you think he's going to say fine to that tenant? No. He's going to tell the tenant, here's a letter. You have 10 days to make your payment and here's the late payment fee. And if you don't pay, we will evict you. That's exactly what Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost would do if he becomes a landlord. And if he becomes a landlord, and let's just say that property taxes on that building, on that house, 
went up 8%. And landscaping fees go up. And he has to pay more for electric or water. Do you think he's only going to pass 3% of that along to the, to the tenant? Hell no. If his costs went up 10%, he's going to pass that and a little bit more onto the tenant. It's a totally different story when the shoe is on the other foot. So Congressman Maxwell Alejandro Frost did exactly what entrepreneurs and small business owners do every day of every year and have since America was founded. Pursuing the American dream, investing in themselves, having ups and downs, having to be sometimes saying, I can't get a paycheck. Sometimes your, your bills are late. That's the sacrifice that he made to become a congressman. And now he's complaining about it. If he was so concerned about it, then maybe he should have decided to take a job, earn some money, bank some money, save some money, so that when he did decide to run, he wouldn't get bad credit. But now it's moot because he's going to be making $175,000. And I'm telling you, that is more money that Frost has seen since he probably began working at whatever, the age of 20 or 21. I have no idea how much an organizing director for March for Life for Our Lives makes, but you can damn well be sure it's a hell of a lot less than $175,000 per year as a U.S. congressman. No sympathy from me, Maxwell Alejandro Frost. You wanted to roll the dice? You wanted to make the sacrifice? You did, and it paid off. But don't complain because your credit is bad because you decided to roll the dice. No sympathy whatsoever. And I guarantee he would get no sympathy from all those entrepreneurs in America who are struggling and trying to make it, who eventually do, but some don't. You don't see them complaining and saying, oh, it's everyone else's fault, and, and the credit is bad because I couldn't work for a year and a half. Maybe you should have thought of that before you ran for Congress. I'm telling you right now, this guy now looks the part, got the nice suit, but like Obama, empty suit, hollow. Nothing up top. All right, finally, the United States men's soccer team playing in the FIFA World Cup last Saturday get demolished by the Netherlands 3-1. to My question is, why did the coach or manager or whatever they call him only have three forwards or strikers on the team? I'm not a soccer expert. But I would say, why do you only have three forwards? Maybe you should have more. Maybe you'd score more goals. I think they collectively scored, what, three goals in the four games they played? Something along those lines. And my conclusion after watching the U.S. national team in the World Cup and several other games is that soccer is still boring. Soccer has always been boring. Soccer is boring, and soccer will be boring. I have zero interest in watching a game end in a zero-to-zero tie. You play for 90-plus minutes. If there's extra minutes, 95 minutes, 100 minutes, and nobody scores, you got this giant field. You can't have on-the-fly substitutions. You got this big goal and nobody can score. How about making the field smaller or maybe having less players on the field and getting more scoring, maybe that would make the game more exciting. Now, in the rest of the world, soccer is huge, number one. 
but it's not number one in the United States of America. And as a proud American, I say soccer is shit. It's not a real sport until it's accepted and popular in the United States of America. There's only one football, and it's not soccer. It's U.S. American football, National Football League, college football, high school football, peewee football, American football rules. Soccer? Eh. If I never saw another soccer game again, I wouldn't miss it. I know our good buddy, the colonel in charge of the European Theater of Operations, Mick the Brit, right now is shaking his head saying, Oh, General, that is not true. You don't appreciate the game. It's an art form. It's, 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 very, it's, very, it's very studious. It's a very cerebral game. Please, it's a boring game. Soccer, no interest. I will stick with my American football. And by the way, tomorrow... The Buffalo Bills, my beloved Buffalo Bills, take on the New York Jets. For the first time, they are home. The Bills are home in a month. Crazy. They played three games in 12 days. They won all three, two of which were in Detroit because of the snowstorm. Then they played on Thanksgiving. Then they played at New England on Thursday night. Three games, 12 nights, 3-0. and We'll take it. So tomorrow, go Bills. Bills Mafia. Whack the Jets. All right, that is all for this edition of the Cigar Dave Show. Cigar Dave, the general, saying, Mayor Humidor always be full. Mayor Cutter always be sharp. Mayor Ash be extra, extra long. Semper Delictatio, always pleasure. Long live the alpha. Make masculinity great again. Screw the enemies of pleasure. Hashtag save America. And never apologize for being a testosterone-laden U.S. alpha male or world alpha male. To those that want to take away your masculinity and your testosterone, we will guard the gates. We will never allow them to come anywhere near our testosterone-laden alpha male bodies. 